Lifestyle Matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Rob Gary. Rob, welcome. Yeah, good to be here. Filling in for Dave Popovich, of course. So we're going to have a great session today. Our, our show today has a, a bit of everything. Let's talk geopolitical, mm -hmm. economic and market issues. Let's talk about what are the key successes or indicators of success or happiness in your retirement. We're definitely going to talk about the Alberta pension plan. <laughs> That's been getting a lot of news oh, yeah. and, and a lot of attention here in this province. And then, of course, you know, with the markets, I don't think people really understand this, that the Toronto Stock Exchange, the S&P 500, if you invested in that 30 months ago, two and a half years ago, you'd be the same value you are today. People are, are now feeling like, I haven't made money for a while. Like, oh my God, it's kind of getting frustrating. So what do you do? We're going to come up with those, those, uh, those answers as well. So it's going to be a great show today. It's going to be great. Yeah. It's been... Um... It's been an exciting week, and I was covering news here this week for for Dave. Uh, there was a lot of themes, right? Because we had an explosion of geopolitical upheaval mm -hmm. overseas, and we had a lot of U.S. inflationary data as well come out. And how did the market digest that? Because we had this little other thing going on on the other side of the market called interest rates and yields. Mm -hmm that yield terminology. And it's more the yields that are driving this market here and not geopolitical risks, which is incredibly interesting to me. Very interesting. When the news hit out over the weekend, last weekend, of what was going on out there, I was like, uh-oh, get ready, buckle up. Yep. Okay. Most people who are focusing on their investments or, or looking at the markets, are gonna focus on the stock market. And sometimes, a lot of times, people forget to focus on the bond market, yep. the interest rate market, the yield market as you've used it. And so here's what's kind of happened when the initial attack happened. The fear of what was going on out there made investors buy the bonds, 10-year government bonds in the US, uh, and that caused, you know, we want some protection. Mm -hmm. Flight to safety. Flight to safety, yeah. which is common when there is a geopolitical risk. Yeah. On the other side of that, as yields drop down, because as you buy more, the, pri the price goes right. up, yield goes down, it becomes more advantageous for stocks as well, because now the future cost of borrowing money has just gone down. The valuation of a company has been readjusted. So the stock market kind of improved throughout this turmoil mm -hmm. in, the, in the first half the first three quarters of the week. Partially in due with what happened last week where we had last couple weeks, which we saw yields on shoot the longer up. dated treasuries yes. shoot up. So we see the 10-year the US Treasury take off last couple of weeks. Stock market has a big amount of volatility. Opposites happening since, since the beginning of this week where yields are coming down stock markets kind of either staying afloat or rising, depending on right. which stock index you're looking at. Interesting there. And then Thursday, inflation numbers come out. CPI. Yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting read. It was slightly more than expected. Slightly more than expected. But I like to look at core numbers. Core was in line with expectations. Looking even deeper than that, though, 
what was actually higher, right? That's what the, the federal government is going to look at. We had shelter higher, but the bigger one is services was still sticky. So we have two pieces that are still sticky in the market. I think every time these CPI numbers come out and they're showing those sticky numbers, the market is going, it's and that, higher that, for that longer. exhale that you just mm -hmm. gave, when you hear the market that, and you, you said the last piece right after it, say it one more time, Rob. The exhale comes out, and what is the market saying? Higher for longer. Great. This is gonna be the biggest debate over the next six mm -hmm. to 12 months. Is it higher for longer or high for longer? Mm -hmm. This is the debate. Higher means rates are rising. Mm -hmm. High for longer means we're high comparisons to where we were a year ago. But paused. But that's going to stay longer. The debate now is high versus higher, and when do interest rates drop? Right now, the market's saying somewhere between 6 and 12 months from now, we're going to start seeing a tick down. That's going to get the market going, okay, if it's going to get pushed out further along the calendar year before we see an interest rate reduction, mm -hmm then the valuation of companies might not be in line and therefore raises more volatility. And this is what the market's trying to figure out. It's push and pull. It's push and pull. Remember this, this phrase, push and pull, because that's exactly what we're going to be discussing throughout this session today, throughout the conversation. When you're going through retirement, you're transitioning. It's a bit of push and pull. Yep. When you talk about the Alberta pension plan, it's a push and pull. When you talk about you know, what's happening in the markets, you haven't seen major indexes in North America make money for 24 months, mm -hmm. sorry, 30 months, two and a half years, it's push and pull. What's going on out there? This is now a breakdown of when you see higher for longer or high for longer and when our interest rates gonna cut. It's gonna be interesting to see and that's where I think we're going to have a lot of the attention. Of course, geopolitical stuff's going to come up. Of course, that's, that's a human uh, uh, issue there. But when you look at what the markets are saying about it, it's not as big of an issue at this point in time mm -hmm. as the issue is a human issue versus an economic or financial issue at this point in time. It's been incredibly interesting, too. It's the first time that I've had so many conversations about the bond market because people are now watching what yields are doing more well, well, we've more than educated stocks. our clients yeah we've been talking to our clients saying look at what the bond market is doing that's the indicator of where the stock market is headed there's a leading indicator in the yeah. bond market's uh view of the world will kind of indicate where the stock market is going to be most people are not even looking at the bond market no and what's leading the bond market all of these data points, right? Correct. That's and commentary. So you get a Federal Reserve rep representative come out and say, I think interest rates should pause here. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, I think we can, yeah, we've got a lot more to go up. Uh-oh. Here. So it's all now on commentary and what, what we think is going to happen. The bond market's not always right. Let's, let's put that on the table. But the bond market is a good prediction of where the stock market's going to head. Right. Big one coming. We had a lot of numbers coming out on Friday too. Earnings season starting... Get ready. We had U.S. banks come out, right? I, I uh, kind of dwelled deeper into those uh, earlier on Friday. Loan loss provision is the one that came in a little bit lower. So banks putting away less for this is the U.S. Loan you're losses. referring to U.S. 
the big U.S. banks, J.P. Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, Citigroup. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? When you look at the Canadian banks, they've raised their loan loss provisions, generally speaking. You look at the American banks, they haven't raised it as much or they've kept them the same or lower. Right. So it's kind of a mixed vision of what the American banks are saying about their loan book versus what the Canadian loan book looks like. Right. Maybe, and just maybe, Canadians are more sensitive to interest rate increases than U.S. citizens are, U.S. residents are, uh, and that could be a piece. And this is all part of a big issue, and when you're transitioning to or living in retirement, there's going to be more concerns about these types of about the economy and how it's going to impact you. Rob, there are, I've said many times to people, there are two ways to retire. Either you choose retirement or retirement chooses you. <laughs> and retirement can choose you in multiple ways because yeah. of a health issue. We're in, in Calgary, Alberta right now. Uh, there's been some layoffs with some major corporations. Mm -hmm. People are exploring, should they go into retirement after they've got this package from their employer? You know, there's, there's a bunch of ways that retirement chooses you. Yeah. But either way, if you choose retirement or retirement is chosen for you, you need to do some planning on how that transition will look like. And sometimes you need assistance in working with that transition. And so this is where coaches come into play. This is where people sit down with an individual and kind of go through what the transition will look like and prepare for it. And so I thought, you know, as people go through this, either you've chosen for retirement or retirement has chosen you, how do we actually go through it? And we've experienced this with a lot of our clients that we've been working with. Oh, a ton of clients, yeah. And it's not, you know, we look at the financials and the, and the lifestyle, but sometimes it's it's more than that, right? Is that transition to purpose and and what your next chapter is going to mean? Sometimes it's yeah. more than money. Look at that, right? <laughs> so that's why we named that show, uh, our show called More Than Money, because it is sometimes more than money. And so we've got a great guest with us, Mariella Hoy, author of Lessons Learned in Retirement, Retiring with Purpose and Passion. Mariella, thank you for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Great show, great title. So let's, let's start talking about the book that you wrote, Lessons Learned in Retirement, Retiring with Purpose and Passion. Tell us the genesis of why this book was created. You know, I think it really started when I was so ticked off with the stereotypes of retirement. And you'd see these big ads and billboards with people with white hair blowing in the wind and matching sweaters and they're on a bicycle built for two and they've got these blinding white teeth and, and they're so happy. But the people that were coming to me, to my workshops, my coaching, uh, the stories I was receiving in the newsletter I had showed stress and anxious people. Um, just this past week, two people told me they're terrified about retirement. Um, so, I mean, I've talked to a guy who was going to retire. He had no hobbies, no outside interests. He had no partner. Uh, he was retiring to a new town no friends, uh, what was, what's he going to do? So that's terrifying. Um, so anyway, the, the book came about because I saw this transition as one of the biggest ones we have in our lives. It can last 20 to 40 years. All the structures have disappeared. 
and uh, you're left with less money often, no structure, no routines, um, no sense of purpose. Your friends are different because they're all left behind. And yeah. uh, you maybe even sleep at a different time. So I wrote the book to let people know they're not alone in this new struggle till they get settled. And um, I included 10 emotional, social challenges that people run into. I just wanted them to know, you know, this is normal. And, you know, don't feel that you can't sit in this place of, discombobulation for a while until you get it sorted out <laughs> a place of discombobulation i like i like the way you, you said that um you know when when we were talking earlier there are people who choose to retire or retirement is chosen for them either because of a health issue or at work and so forth you know um when someone leaves the workforce um it can kind of predict your retirement happiness. Now, you've mentioned this before on, on other parts of your, and within the book, you can kind of get the messaging from there. You can get that from the interviews that you've done with other pe people in the media. So to, uh, explain to us how does that happen? So it's, it's the conditions of exit from a workforce that predict how well you transition. Hmm. It's not that it predicts your overall happiness in all of your retirement, but it does affect that transition period. Um, so the conditions of exit are things like um, your, did you have a retirement workshop? Uh, were you feeling valued at work? Did you pick the date of your retirement? Mm -hmm. As if you can. Um, <laughs> what else? Um, perceived um, coping skills. And so what the studies found was that the top predictor of how well you're going to adjust to the transition is the conditions of exit. But the startling fact that I ran into is that a great number of people retire unexpectedly, as you were saying. And 55% um, of people thought that they knew their retirement date a year out. And of those, only uh, 39 said that's what happened. And hmm. unfortunately, 16% had no warning at all. So they're thrown in to retirement in a messy way. And that affects how well or how long it takes them to, to adjust. So with that said, with the unexpected and that many people, it's shocking to me, but I, I, I get it. Like, what do you recommend to people do to prepare for that transition into retirement? Well, it's not enough to say, I want to be happy. And we all <laughs> do, right? In retirement or in life. Yeah. Um, but I think you really know, need to know what are the components of happiness? What makes that happen? And how can you set those in place so it happens more often? I mean, happiness is it's almost a fleeting thing, but you have to grab it and have it happen more often. So um, the conditions need to be set in place and, and there's many components to happiness and you mentioned some of them, but um, the three that I chose to focus on, because I can only keep three things in my head at any one time. But I think if you have these three, you're bound to be feeling pretty good about your life and uh, the first one is purpose. Um, you know, when you look up the definition of purpose, 
it is, like Aristotle said, it's where one's talents meet the needs of the world. It's about giving out to the world something that you give joyfully. It's a treat to be able to maybe mentor young engineering immigrant students um, or save the bluebirds with bluebird boxes or um, give one of your artworks to a women's shelter. So that's purpose. It has a, an outward giving. The second component that I really like, and I should have mentioned it first, is passion. And I define that as that sense of being so immersed in something you love that you end up in this feeling being in the zone. Um, they describe it as flow. And um, it comes with effort, though. It's not lying on the couch and watching TV. It, it's increasing a skill while you're increasing your challenges. And you keep doing that until you reach this point where you're absolutely you've lost track of time, you're in the zone. So um, I used to run, and so when I was increasing my running skills and my distance, I would feel that sometimes, or um, dancing in a coaching conversation, trying to get those um, insights to come forward from people. Those are some examples that, for me, represent flow. Um, and then um, the third piece is uh, people. So we got the three P's, purpose, passion, and people. Hmm. And I was struck by how isolation and loneliness is so bad for our health. Uh, that's why I added this piece to the book, because it's like, um, it's comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day hmm. isolation. We saw this in um, the pandemic. Uh, it's, it was comparable to um, obesity, alcohol misuse, um, uh, physical inactivity. So it's striking. So the Surgeon General of the United States said there's three kinds of loneliness. So if you can fight the three, you'll be in a good place. So if you have some intimate partner uh, and a little baby five months old, <laughs> um, then you can let your hair down and, and be wonderful. But that doesn't mean you won't be lonely. There's, um, you, need, you still need kind of a relational thing with friends that you would go out to dinner with. And you also need a community where you have um, values and a shared mission. Like I've joined a, a little theater and I mean, talk about drama. Yeah. Mariella, we do have to go. That was fantastic. People, passion and purpose. I like it. The three tips for a very happy and successful retirement. Thank you for joining us today, Marielle. Thank you. Rob, this has been a topic that <laughs> even if you're a business owner or not, you're talking about this at some point. It's hit a, a dinner conversation, a water cooler conversation, or you're just you're just commenting on online for something, but it's all about Alberta Pension Plan. Taxi cab confessions. Oh yeah. <laughs> How many there. how many taxi cab drivers are talking about this too? That's how important it is. And of course, we want to get some insight from a business perspective, but also uh, what what's uh, uh, what corporate Alberta is thinking about this as well. Deborah Yedlin is the president and CEO of Calgary Chamber of Commerce. Deborah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's let's go with um, the first part. You've expressed some caution when talking about Alberta leaving the Canadian pension, uh, pension system, 
Why is that? Well, I think there's so many factors that have to be considered in this kind of uh, this kind of uh, situation. And let's start with the fact that you know the CPPIB has provided stable and steady returns for Canadians and Albertans since it was restructured in the late 1990s. It has a governance structure that's ironclad that ensures that it is not used as a piggy bank for any pet projects by the government. And its governance and performance is viewed as stellar around the world. So we have something really good going. And so let's, let's start with that fact. And then there's all the uncertainty that comes with looking to withdraw from this, from the pension plan. You know, uh, what are the dollars that really will be contributed into an Alberta pension plan? I think that's something that we have to to address. The second thing is, as a smaller fund, you have trouble a generating the kinds of returns. You have trouble generating the kinds of returns that uh, the CPPIB has been able to, to to generate. You also have trouble um, in terms of competing with other investment opportunities because you can't come in with size relative to the other big pools of capital. So that risk pooling is really important. The ability to make those investments in size is really important. And we also look at it from a labor mobility perspective. What does that look like? And how does that constrain labor mobility into and out of Alberta? What does it mean for the rest of the country? I think there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. I know many Albertans have expressed not thinking that this is a good idea. Uh, Do you think a referendum is is needed on this this topic? Well, generally speaking, I think the referendum could be a very divisive um, road to take because it's going to be a very polarized conversation. But I think, you know, at the end of the day, governments are elected to make decisions and that's what we elect them to do. To have a referendum on something like this, which is so complicated, uh, even if you do try and distill it in a way that is uh, in, uh, that people can understand what it actually means, I'm not sure you actually ever get there. And so we elect government to make policy decisions, to enact legislation that is beneficial for, for, for their citizens. And I think that's, that's what we, sh- we need to keep in mind. What, what are the concerns of, of your members or of business owners in the, in, the, in the city, in the province, when it comes to this type of uncertainty? Um, you know, there, there's been arguments that, you know, it'll be cheaper for business owners. There's arguments that, you know, there's going to be more um, risk to the business owner because now they're going to deal with potentially two different systems. Um, what, when you're hearing from business owners, what are they saying? Well, what we're hearing is, A, it's going to be complicated. B, what is it going to cost Alberta taxpayers to actually set this up? Mm-hmm. C, if you are a company that has operations across the country, how cumbersome is that going to be for you having to deal with the extra administrative uh, costs associated with another plan? And by the way, that is actually something that Quebec businesses have to deal with. And so let's 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 keep that in mind as well. The other thing is, is the uncertainty surrounding the size of the premiums. Right now, everybody says, well, you know, demographics are on our side. Well, there's no assurance that's going to it's going to stay that way. But more importantly, let's just think about it from a from a very interesting perspective. Alberta's had 184,000 people come into the province in the last 12 months. That means if you have a pension plan, your liabilities have just gone up by 184,000 people, but your assets have not. And so how do you meet those obligations going forward? From a business perspective connected to that, the businesses all of a sudden say, okay, so I have all these people that are new into into uh, into the province. My premiums are not necessarily predictable or stable. 
because that, you know, you, your liabilities have gone up, your assets haven't, but what does that look like? How do you fund those liabilities going forward? Well, one of the ways you do that is A, you have returns, hopefully they're good enough, but B, you increase premiums. premiums. And so there's no uh, certainty in terms of what that premium, uh, premium contribution uh, curve is gonna look like over time. Why do you think the provincial government wants to do this? What, what's in it for the province of Alberta that uh, has, has brought them to this attention when there's so many other things that we could be dealing with? You and I have had conversations about affordability. You and I have had conversations about portability of, of trade and your, your licensing to go from province to province. There's a whole bunch of things that can be addressed and figured out. Um, why do you think the province picked uh, now for uh, the pension plan to be discussed? Well, it was something that was uh, part of the, pl the campaign platform, and, and the government's going to follow through with what was uh, part of their election platform. I think you know you hit on something so important. We have so many other issues that we have to deal with, whether it is housing affordability, whether it is affordability writ large, making sure that we can upskill, reskill, and retrain uh, people who do come to this province. Uh, the labor mobility issue is one that we hear every day. I can't get enough people. I can't get enough qualified people. And if, you know, when you think about it, let's think about the fact that uh, we've had, we as a province have relied on uh, the in, flying in and out of people from primarily the Maritimes to work in the oil sands up in Fort McMurray. What happens with pension? What does that, you know, how does that affect them? How does that affect the companies mm. they're working for? What does that look like? I think, you know, we respect the government's right to look at this more closely. And it sort of stems from some, you know, political posturing back in the early 2000s, for sure. But I think that uh, it's, it's, it's a very complicated process. And it's going to cause a lot of uncertainty and unease. And Obviously, you know, the government's taking the, the uh, road to consult with Albertans, and we'll see what that, those consultations surface. There's obviously also a very robust advertising campaign, but I think this is, it's, it's more than an advertising campaign. This is a very complicated issue that the impact of which needs to be very carefully considered. And this is a topic we can't solve today, but it's going to be a long process through all this. If it continues, we want to thank you so much for joining us, Deborah. Thanks for having me today. We've been joined by Deborah Yedlin. She's the president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. You know, Rob, there is going to be issues like this that are popping up. I think it's people are going to make um, emotive decisions. Mm -hmm. Should I take my Canadian pension plan early? It won't be around, this and that. Everybody needs to take a step back and just wait a minute. Nothing is law yet. Right. Um, and so there's a long process before this becomes law. And I, my fear is that some people will take on an emotive decision that could impact them financially over the long term. Yeah. You know, like Deborah was talking about, there's, you know, if you're in multiple provinces and so forth, people might think the CPP is not going to exist for Albertans if this happens. Like people are having all these different thoughts. They need to take it now. Yeah. Step back, look at the facts, get proper advice, because making these types of decisions, um, can, can impact your financial future, regardless of if you're a business owner or a person transitioning to your living in retirement. Mm -hmm. Now, when you look at the issues that come up, when you talk about pensions, CPP, old age security, those are your guaranteed sources of income, you can call it. Most Canadians have a gap between what they need to spend and what they 
what they need, what they get from their guaranteed sources of income. And they rely on their savings to reach that. Now, that gap, how do you invest it? How do you protect it? How do you hedge against inflation? How do you handle all those issues? That's going to be on the on the big up and coming conversation we're going to have at this at this seminar. You do need to register, so don't forget. Like Rob said, go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Uh, Rob, we've had a great show. Uh, we've been talking about a bunch of stuff, but here's what's interesting that people are now realizing: many Canadians are looking at their portfolios, and they're going, "I haven't made money for multiple years now." Mm-hmm. You look at the indexes of the S&P 500 or the TSX, and the value of those indexes are the exact same spot as they were 30 months ago, two and a half years ago. Frustration is building up. And at the same time, you have interest rates that are very attractive from where they've been over the last 15 years. And people are deciding to should I stay or should I go? Well, I think the concept of time is, a, is an interesting one because you said 30 months. And we've been up and down how many times in between that where if you are watching it or have the feeling, you feel like you're up, you feel like you're down, but over the long term, you, you lose that. Here, here was a conversation I had with a listener of this show. Faisal, if I left the beginning of 2021 when we were allowed to leave and from the pandemic and just left and didn't look at didn't look at the markets and i come back today i'd look and say we haven't made a dime, a dime. there has been no growth in the markets my my response to to that individual was well, what are you investing in mm-hmm. well, the markets what kind of markets stock markets okay um are you investing in stocks or the stock market and the response was, what do you mean? And I think this is what people are, are needing to get in their, in their minds about what's, what are they investing in. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the show today, we were talking about purpose and passion. Let's focus on purpose. Yeah. Every investment you have in your portfolio has a purpose. At least it should. Now, most people will say, I invest in the stock market for the purpose so I can retire and I can live off my savings. Okay. So do you mean broad-based investing index-wise? Exactly. What a great question. When you start analyzing people's portfolios and you listen to what they say of why they're investing in that, they will say, stock market. You never hear that when you say, hey, do you own real estate? Yeah. So you just own the real estate market. <laughs> they say, I own a home. I own a building. I own an apartment. I own a condo. They don't say I own the real estate market. Mm-hmm. Well, it gets interesting when you go to buy a home, right? You don't go say, I'm going to buy the Calgary real estate market. I'm going to buy a, a house in Calgary. You don't say that. You may say that at the start, <clears throat> but then what is the purpose of buying that specific house for your family, whether it be location, whether it be for size, bedrooms, growing a family, all of those things. Purpose, right? Yeah. So I think people need to understand when we manage our clients' money, 
we're just not investing in the market. We're investing in companies. We're not investing in, and I'll use your analogy of the real estate market, we're not investing in the real estate market, we're investing in homes. Mm -hmm. We're investing in actual properties. And why you choose certain investments to be in your portfolio has the same criteria as why you buy a home. Yep. Close to schools. So let me ask you, you and your family, you're all homeowners here in Mm -hmm. the city. Why did you buy the house that you bought? So I can be close to come down here and do media. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) So that's one of them. But be close to work Mm -hmm. is one of them. Uh, uh, education for a growing families with this. So are we close to the schools we want to be around? Those are the two. Those are the two major ones. Yep. Uh, is it big enough? And obviously, price. Right. Isn't that interesting? How when the average Canadian who bo- buys a home doesn't look at the that way in the same way that when they buy investments. Mm-hmm. Because if you said to your real estate agent, "I just want to be owning the real estate market. I just want to buy me a house that grows in value." the end may not fit your your objectives right it may not be close to work it may not be close to schools it may not be the right size it may not it may not it may not and every single piece of real estate in this city in every city varies in value from time to time Mm -hmm. isn't that the same thing in the stock market we should get away from looking at buying the stock market to start buying companies well, I'm going to throw it back to you because you're you're the growth guy, right? Yeah. So if you if you're thinking talk down approach to when you get down to your stock picking portion, right? When you get down through your sectors and yep. allocation, yeah. Tell me what you go through in your decision making process. So so literally, it's mathematical. When you go down and you look at the economy, the economy dictates how we allocate different between different asset classes. Mm-hmm between geographical locations. But the selection of the companies that we invest in is a mathematical approach using 600 factors that determine, is this company gonna meet the needs that we need to get to to reach our goals for our clients? Right. And what's the risk on the downside? And then every time you add more and more companies to the portfolio, are you attracting more risk, detracting risk? Are you, are you able to capture the upside? And that's why you're well, we're well diversified globally. Mm-hmm. It's the same reason of why you buy a house. You want to have the right number of rooms. You want to have the right location. You want to have the right price. You want to have the ability to meet your, your long-term views because people don't buy homes to own it for a year. We don't buy businesses to own it for a year. People buy stock to trade. We buy businesses. And when you buy businesses, there's going to be points in time where things don't always grow at, at, at the rate that you want it to, just like every homeowner's experienced owning a home. But over the time that you expect that to become into true fruition, that will meet your goals. Right. And the purpose of you picking certain companies now for people into retirement is going to be different than the analogy of when you buy a house in your 30s to when you potentially buy a house in your 60s. Right. And, and the frustration of the markets, the portfolio, my accounts, whatever, however you look at it, haven't made money for years, mm-hmm. maybe I need to change what I'm doing is worth a look. 100% worth yep. the look. 
but let's tie it back to the retirement plan that you have. And if you don't have one, start there. Mm -hmm. Then what is the investment strategy that gives you the highest probability of success to get you there? Because nothing's 100% certain. Nothing. And then have your security selection, your investment selection. So is GICs the right thing? Maybe. Is high interest savings account at interest rates today the right thing? Maybe. Is individual companies to invest into? Maybe. We have a five pillar investment strategy. There's a reason why we have five pillars and not just one or two. These five pillars are what pension plans do since the beginning of time. Yeah. And they've been successful at meeting the objectives of their pensioners over the existence of time. So why are they successful at it? And why are Canadians doing something different? And that's where I think we need to talk about it. We're gonna talk about that, the approach to the five pillars. How do we get there at our upcoming seminar? Next one will happen on Tuesday, November 7th at 7 p.m. in person at the Carriage House Inn. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Don't forget to register for that because we're definitely going to talk about what's happening in the world, the economy, and how to position this five-pillar approach to meet your goals. That's going to be coming up on November the 7th. And again, on behalf of Rob, myself, Faisal, and the entire team here at More Than Money, I want to thank you for joining us. Don't forget to go to our website for more information at morethanmoneyradio.com. Thank you once again, and we'll see you next week. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.